Are there many things you can think of in this life that are more sad or hopeless than for a child to grow up being an orphan? I know that my list would be pretty short. Joshua Russell, a film producer and a professor of screenwriting at, at DePaul University, he suggests that if you want to make your audience feel empathy for your character, take away a parent. Take away a parent so that he becomes an orphan, or at least half an orphan. Disney might be the masters of this. Just think of all the Disney movies where the main character loses their parents and ends up as an orphan. Bambi, The Fox and the Hound, The Jungle Book, um, Cinderella, and the list could go on and on. Fewer things tug at our heartstrings, like seeing a child alone and abandoned, looking for belonging. And how do all these stories, how do these movies resolve themselves? Well, that main character, he ends up finding belonging again, whether it's through adoption or, or marriage or a newfound friendship. The main character ends up finding a new belonging, a new family. And when he does, ends up happily ever after. Well, we too, we come into this world as orphans. Well, we could be born into the most loving family in the world, but we would still be orphans. We come into this world as orphans because we're missing that most important relationship that we need, that relationship with our spiritual parent, our Heavenly Father. We come into this world as lost and hopeless sinners. Our life it would seem, would be like a Disney movie with a horrible ending. There would be no happily ever after, but just the opposite. It would be an eternity of loneliness, an eternity of separation from love and from all that is good and all that is holy. In other words, hell. But we have been adopted by our triune God. We now have belonging. Our happily ever after, it starts right now, and it continues for all eternity. The Apostle Paul, in our lesson for this morning, he shows us how that one God and three distinct persons has brought us into his kingdom and into his family. And Paul shows us how all the persons of the Trinity, how they all play an active role in that adoption. We are children of the Heavenly Father, that holy triune God. And because of that, we live our lives that, that show that. A child's actions, they reflect on the parent. If your child comes up here for the, ch- the child's message and, and he says or does something embarrassing, as the parent of that child, you're probably a little embarrassed with them, right? At the same time, if they say something really deep and insightful, like explain the doctrine of the Trinity, well, then you're impressed, you're, you're proud for them. Well, when we remember this, that, that for good or bad, a child's actions reflect on the parent, And when we remember that we are parents of our Heavenly Father, the Holy Triune God, well, that's an intimidating thought, isn't it? Well, that's where the work of the Holy Spirit comes in. The Holy Spirit doesn't only create faith in our heart, making us God's children in the first place. But the Holy Spirit, he continues to lead us. Paul tells us every child of God is led by the Spirit of God. And so what does he mean by led? Well, the Holy Spirit doesn't just kind of, well, point us in the general direction. 
He doesn't say, well, this is the way you should live your life. These are the good deeds you are to do. These are the sins you are to avoid. Right, now have at it. The Holy Spirit isn't like some horrible trail guide who, who won't guide you down that, that trail, but he'll just point you to that winding, rocky road down the side of the mountain because he himself is too afraid to do it. Now, that's not how the Holy Spirit works. The Holy Spirit, he leads us. Like a blind man is taken by the hand and led and guided. God's word, that shows us the way. God's word shows us how we should live our life. And the Holy Spirit, he works through that word to lead us to live our lives according to it. A person could be led by many different spirits. A person could be led by a spirit of kindness or a spirit of greed or of revenge. And we know what it looks like to be led by those spirits. We've seen that. But now just imagine what it looks like to be led by the Spirit of God. This is a life where the Holy Spirit is the constant, the active, and, and the, the ever-present influence in that life. The Holy Spirit, he enables us to, to put to death the, the sinful flesh so that those sinful lusts and desires, they don't control us. We can say no to sin. We can say no to temptation. And the Holy Spirit, he enables us and leads us to, to crush that power of that indwelling sin within us so that we can walk in the way of God's commands. We can walk in God's commands cheerly, cheerfully and freely. And the Holy Spirit, he leads us and he enables us to produce fruits of faith in our life. He leads us to show our love through our acts of kindness to others. And the Holy Spirit, he leads us in lives of service to God as we serve here in our church and as we serve in our communities and as we serve God in, in our different roles in life as parents, as children, grandparents, husbands and wives and, and in all of our different occupations. Every child of God, every Christian is led by the Spirit of God. He leads each and every one of us to live lives that reflect that love of our Holy Father. And so then, why do we live lives that glorify God? Why do we live lives led by the Spirit? Is it out of fear of God? Is it out of fear of the consequences of breaking God's law? In our lesson, Paul describes that attitude as a spirit being led, as a spirit that makes us slaves to fear. If we have this attitude, well, then we're just trying to live good lives so that we can avoid punishment from God. This makes us slaves to fear. And with this mentality, we should be afraid. We should be afraid of that punishment that we know our sins deserve. We deserve punishment for rejecting the Holy Spirit's guidance in our life time and time again. For all the times that we fail to do the things that we should do, and instead we've done the things that we should not do. All these sins, they pile up more and more, offending our holy God. And just one of these sins, they deserve punishment from God. God's word, it tells us that. Our own consciences tell us that. And this fear and this dread, that, that stays in the heart of, of every unrepentant sinner, even in the heart of unbelievers. And we also make ourselves slaves to this fear if we have the idea that we just need to kind of keep God's law good enough. If we have this idea that, 
well, we don't need to keep God's law perfectly, but we just need to do our part, kind of meet God halfway. We need to stay in God's good favor or good terms by our good deeds or by avoiding sin. That we can somehow please God by, by, our, good, by our good lives and not please God, but earn our salvation through our good deeds. And this is the idea that the false religions of this world and that our own human nature will tell us that we need to do something to be saved. Well, this too, this makes us slaves to fear and to uncertainty. Because how could we know if we've done enough? With this spirit that makes us slaves to fear that Paul describes, that brings to mind a a cruel master of of all his slaves, and, and he demands that they do an impossible amount of work. All the slaves of this master, they try their hardest, but they simply, they can't do all the work. Every day, they fail, and they know it. It's obvious. They fall short of completing it all. And every night, they go to bed knowing that, again, the next day, they will fall short of doing their work. But still, they they try their hardest. They toil away tirelessly, trying to do the work, just so that they can avoid the punishment and the wrath of their cruel master. Their attitude toward their master is one of fear and dread. Well, with this attitude or spirit that Paul describes for us, God would be that cruel master, demanding the impossible from us. God demands that we live a perfect, holy life, that we never sin, we never slip up even just once. Well, we fall short of that from the get-go. From our conception, from the very moment our life first began on this earth, We are corrupt with sin. And every day since, we've failed, we've fallen short, we've sinned. We know it, it's obvious. And every night we go to bed knowing that again, the next day we will fall short. We will sin. With this relationship to God, we could only approach him like a cruel master would be approached by his slaves as they have to admit to him that again, they failed in their work. Paul tells us that this is not the spirit that we have received at all. Nowhere near it. Paul tells us that we have received a spirit of sonship or adoption. Our attitude towards God, it's not like a slave to his cruel master. It's like a child to his loving father. Both slaves and children, they will aim to please, but for entirely different reasons. Slaves will do it out of fear, but children, they do it out of love. God has divinely adopted us through the work of his Son. He has removed that sin that separated us, making us his forgiven and blood-bought children. And God gives us all the blessings that a parent would want to give to their child. We have the blessed right to draw near to God just as a child has the right to approach their father. We can approach God, we can come to God now in confidence in freedom, in gratitude, and in love. Imagine trying to make an appointment with Stephen Harper. And so you, you call up the Parliament Hill and, and you tell them who you are and that you'd like to make an appointment with them. Well, the questions would probably start coming pretty fast, wouldn't they? Who did you say you are again? And uh, what's the nature of your visit with them? And you'd probably hear, are you sure there's not someone else who could help you? But now imagine that you're one of the Prime Minister's children. And if you called up, you'd probably get a completely different response, wouldn't you? Oh, yes, of course, let me put you right through. 
In fact, I would imagine that his children have his direct phone number. They can call him at any time. They can see him at any time. They have unlimited access. Well, because we are God's children, that's the access that we have with him. Anytime, with any problem, we can call him up. We can call upon him, and he will hear us as our loving father. And the blessings, they just continue. Paul tells us that if we are a child, well, then we are also an heir. Now, Paul isn't being sexist here when he, when he, uses, child, or when he uses sons sometimes instead of child. Back then, sons were the ones who would receive the inheritance. And it's for that very reason that God made us his children. We recently had a presentation here on estate planning. We went through all the important things you need to do and why it's good to have that all set up and prepared. Well, God is the master of his estate planning. He has it planned out perfectly. God made us his children through the work of his son, and through the work of his spirit, so that we could receive his inheritance, so that we could be heirs of his estate. And there's no one better to be an heir of. If you're heirs of your poor relative, you probably appreciate the gesture, but it's not going to change your life too much. But our God is abundantly wealthy. His riches, they can't even be measured. And even the wealthiest estates, the benefactor, he can blow through those pretty quickly. But the one that we're receiving our inheritance from is from everlasting to everlasting. The inheritance that he has for us, it will never give out, it will never diminish. That's what he has waiting for us. That's the the plan that he has for us. That's what he wants to give us. And Paul also tells us that we are co-heirs with Christ. We are co-heirs with Christ because he took on human flesh. We can call him his brother. He took on flesh and he lived here on earth. And he shared in our sufferings. Jesus was persecuted for his teachings. And we too are now persecuted for following them. Jesus was tempted by the devil. We too undergo those difficult temptations. Jesus shared in our suffering, but his suffering was much different. His suffering, that was done for us. His suffering won our inheritance for us. His suffering took away our sins, making us at one with God. With that problem of our sins taken away, we are now God's children. We are co-heirs with Christ. That's the reason that Jesus became an heir, was so that we could be co-heirs with him. That's the reason that God sent Jesus to this earth. Christ, he's already received his full inheritance. Jesus was raised from the dead. He received his glorified body. And then he was taken up into heaven. He was taken to heaven to be with his Holy Father and to live in that perfect paradise prepared. Well, that's exactly what God promises us. Our time of suffering on this earth, it will come to an end too. And we will receive our full inheritance just as Christ has. In fact, because Jesus received that inheritance, that's proof that that's exactly what we have waiting for us. Jesus received his so that we could also receive ours. That's the great joy that we have waiting for us. We come into this world as orphans by our own doing. It's by our own sins, our own rebellion. And so we would have to be content with whatever mercy God would show us. 
But God tells you in his word, I didn't just show you a little mercy. I didn't just show you a little love. But I made you my own dear child. As the Apostle John tells us, Behold, what great love the Father has lavished on us, that we should be called children of God. We are adopted by the triune God. We now belong to him. He marked you as his own. You were adopted in his name. You were baptized in his name, in the name of the Father and of the Son and the Holy Spirit. And that means hands off to the devil. He can't take you from him. You are children of the Father. You are siblings and co-heirs with Christ. You are led and guided by the Spirit who lives within you. And that changes everything. Our past, well, that's now forgiven. Our future, that's one of rich inheritance. And for our present time now on this earth, we live lives that reflect that amazing love of our triune God who has adopted you as his own. Amen. And the peace of God, which surpasses all human understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds through faith in Christ Jesus. Amen.